Our Bible verse today is from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood outside, weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. One of the most glorious Easter celebrations that I have ever been a part of was not at all on Easter. It took place several months after Easter in a community that I was serving some of you have heard me talk before about serving at Costa Mesa United Methodist Church. It was a church that uh, I was assigned to go in and do some heavy lifting for. I was assigned to come in and tear down a lot of the existing and historical buildings in order to make way for the church to be reborn in that place. You see, the church stood at this corner of the busiest corner in all of Orange County, and it had a lovely historic sanctuary. The rest of the buildings were kind of falling down and I mean, they were okay, but they were really dilapidated and we're going to need a lot of work to restore. But they were in this great location and they only had 17 parking spots. So there was really no room for this church to grow, even if it had wanted to. At that point, the church had become really just a congregation of about 20 or so people, mostly over 70 they existed mostly by having 12-step groups rent out their property. And they really weren't sure what their future would be. But again, they had this incredible property. And so I was sent in to kind of figure out a solution for the property so that the church could be reborn. 
And within a few months, we decided to tear down all of the existing buildings except for this beautiful historic sanctuary that sat in the middle of the property in order for the church to be able to worship, to have gatherings in the sanctuary, to have much, much needed parking in this very busy area. And so after a few months, we emptied out all of these buildings. We gave away everything the church owned, every pot and pan in the kitchen, every folding chair and table and dish and little tiny tables from the Sunday school rooms and pianos and the curtain from the stage. I mean, we gave away everything the church had to offer. And then we moved out of the buildings, but there was a delay in the demolition. And what happened is that people, vagrants, moved into the move, into the building and they took over the property inside these buildings that we had, that we had uh, moved out of. And so that it became not even safe for members of the church, let alone even as private security force and the police department would not enter those buildings. It was just too dangerous for anybody to enter into them. And it was like that for like three months. For three months, I couldn't even go onto the property um, because of the danger of the facility. And so I would only come in on Sunday mornings to lead worship for these 20 or so folks. It was a, it was a grand time. And then in the middle of that, happened to be on Ash Wednesday, Somebody, the church in that beautiful historic sanctuary had this lovely, beautiful stained glass with the image of Jesus's face on it. Uh, well, it had, it was his whole body, but right next to his face, somebody threw a large stone into the window from the outside, damaging right next to Jesus's face. They clearly aimed for his face, but they, they hit just inside of it. And this beautiful, uh, stained glass window, this window that the church was so proud of and loved, was severely damaged. And so they boarded up the window, at least the top or the bottom two-thirds of it, the top part was left open and just with a plate glass window, and so the rest of it was boarded up. And then while we were waiting for demolition and we had had to relocate all the electricity in the building, and so they had laid new wires to, to locate the, the electricity in the sanctuary building. And somebody came by and um, stole all the copper wiring. And so the sanctuary, the only building that was being able to be occupied by the church was also uh, without electricity. Well, then we finally got to be able to tear down the buildings. And on the morning that the demolition crew arrived, I and the foreman went through with bullhorn shouting into the buildings, please, if you were in these buildings, please get out. We're tearing down these buildings today. You will get crushed. You know, and we, we cleared the buildings and destroyed the buildings while members of the church stood by and, and wept and grieved at the loss of these buildings that their parents had built. Some of them quite literally had built these buildings. And then we had, uh, of course, continued to have worship. And so we had this sanctuary, but there was no electricity in the sanctuary. There was no light in the sanctuary. The organ didn't work because there was no electricity in the, the sanctuary. But the only bit of light that you really could get in 
in this space was in the back of the church and the lobby area, what we call the narthex. And so they moved the little pews into the narthex and they moved a piano into the narthex and we worshiped in the back of the church, 20 or so people. And this was my last Sunday there. So there we are with this broken out window boarded up, the face of Christ covered in the dark or just with a little bit of light from the window. And it was the most joyful worship experience I've ever been through. It was amazing. The, the spirit of God was alive and afresh among the people, even as they were in what was perhaps the darkest moment for that church. And yet even there, they proclaimed the resurrection. I had a colleague at the time who, when I told this story to him, he cut out a picture of the Who's in Whoville and Dr. Uh, Seuss's the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And he, he said, your, your church is like the Who's that are in Whoville. The Grinch thought that he could steal Christmas joy from the Who's by stealing their, their presents and their cakes and their pies and all their Christmas trees and their decorations. But what he didn't realize was that Christmas had nothing to do with all of that stuff. It had nothing to do with that. And the Who's still danced around, you know, the tree in the middle of the, of the little village. And he said, your church is like the Who's in Whoville. And I keep thinking of that this, this Easter. Like all of you, I have been grieving that we are not in our normal place for Easter Day. We are not in our sanctuary. Nothing about this season is normal in our lives. We are grieving that we don't get to sing the Hallelujah Chorus with the great big organ at the end of the service today, though we will. Uh, whenever the church comes back together, we will have the biggest Easter celebration you see. But for now, we're still celebrating Easter, and it seems to me like just like how the Grinch's heart grew three times bigger, that perhaps this is a season where our faith grows three times big, bigger, because we're realizing that Easter, while we love our Easter lilies and while we love all of our crosses and our decorations and our singing and all of that, it's not really about that. And perhaps, maybe, hopefully, the only time in our lives, maybe this is our best Easter ever, because like the original disciples, we're getting a taste of what that was to be at the in the tomb, to be scared, to be locked away. You remember the early disciples, Mary made her way to the tomb, but all of the male disciples were kind of hiding away in a in, in they were scared for their own lives. They were scared for, you know, that Jesus had been killed and the next thing might be coming after Jesus' disciples. They were fearful. They were anxious. When they came to the tomb, there wasn't a big chorus singing the Alleluia chorus. There was fear and anxiety and a lot more questions than answers. And it seems to me that's where we're at. I mean, it seems like a, we are also coming into this, this season of Easter with a lot of questions and a lot of anxieties and a lot of fears. But we're Easter people. 
I read a story this week about uh, the famous American writer E.B. White. His wife, less famous, but perhaps should be also famous, was Catherine White. And she was one of the first editor-in-chiefs of uh, the New Yorker magazine. And she was also an avid gardener. And as she was, um, she had become ill and knew that she was going to die. And it was the fall and she did what she always did in the fall, which was she went out to the patio into the garden and planted her bulbs. And E.B. Wright wrote, um, he said that under the darkening skies of a dying October, she calmly plotted a resurrection. I love that idea of plotting a resurrection. This is a sort of the essence of our Christian faith. Our Christian faith is not one that sort of hides from death and darkness. It's not a faith that doesn't know injustice and oppression and fears and depression and addiction. It's not a faith that doesn't deeply wrestle with all of those issues. But it's a faith that in the middle of that calmly plots a resurrection we are Easter people because we proclaim that our God is one that is always working out resurrection, always working to bring forth life out of even the deepest dark, darkness. That congregation at uh, Costa Mesa is thriving today with lots of young people and really reinventing itself along with the, the older members who have have stuck in and passed the torch to this next generation to say, make this church what, what God will have it to be under your leadership. Together, the, the older uh, existing congregation and the newer congregation are plotting a resurrection for that church. I keep thinking right now, as we are in this time of such, it's just such an unusual time in, in our world and in our in our own lives, none of us have ever experienced a pandemic like this before. But the Easter story is always about God interrupting the story. Just when we thought we knew how this was going to end, God starts plotting that resurrection. And I wonder if the question for us this year is about our own resurrection. What will we resurrect this year when we come out of our tombs, I hate to refer to our houses as tombs, but when we come out of this time where we are sort of separated, taken apart, um, not doing all of the things that usually we associate with Easter, what will it look like for us to be resurrected this year? What is the, the resurrection that God is plotting, even right now for your life, your personal life, perhaps? your life and your family. We've all experienced a new family dynamic by being separated one with from one another. Perhaps God is planting and plotting for a resurrection for you and your family. Perhaps there's a resurrection that's being plotted right now in our society as people are learning the values of neighbors, of caring for one another, of putting the needs of our most vulnerable at the top of our priority list. Perhaps there's a resurrection of common decency and common good coming to our society. Perhaps even the creation itself is breathing a little bit deeper as we're 
We're having this collective rest. And even the creation perhaps is plotting a resurrection right now. Or even in the church, perhaps in this time apart, we're sort of reevaluating what bulbs do we want to plant and nurture and say, grow and thrive? And what bulbs do we want to say, this is not a season for planting these guys anymore. We're ready for something new. I just wonder, I wonder if God is going to use this time to do something good, because it is what God seems to do. God seems to always take times that feel anxious and uncertain, fearful. God seems to take all of our deepest emotions of grief and loss and transform them, turn them into something new. So I wonder, friends, in this season of Easter, indeed, it is a glorious Easter morning. It may not feel like it. It may not feel like all the normal stuff that we associate with Easter. But perhaps this is going to be the best Easter of your life. Perhaps this will be a time when you will see and experience Christ's resurrection in a new way. You will notice that God is plotting a resurrection for you, for your family, for our society, for your neighborhood, for our church. I believe that our God is a disruptive God. Not that God planned this COVID thing. That's a horrible thing. But that in the midst of the darkness, God is always at work. God is always bringing forth resurrection, planning for something new. And so today we get to practice that resurrection. We get to practice thinking about the bulbs that are being planted. Practice thinking about how we want to rise from this time, whether it is in a month from now or two months from now. I think God might be doing something new. Seems to be the way of God, so I wouldn't put it past. So I want to invite you to perhaps let your heart, your faith grow three times bigger and to plot with God for your own resurrection and for the resurrection of the world. It's Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. And so today, let us be people of Easter faith, of resurrecting hope and of plotting a new creation with God. Let us pray. Loving God, in the midst of darkness, you always call forth light. In the midst of even the deepest darkness, we are reminded that your light shines. And so, God, on this Easter Sunday, when nothing feels normal, we still find that the tomb is empty. We still find that Christ is risen. And in that joy, we know that you are being resurrected in our lives. And so, God, in this season of Easter, open us. Open us to your plotting. Open us to your planting. Open us to the newness that you will create in our lives and in the world. May we be transformed and resurrected with Christ this day. Amen.